That was a, uh, I put this up here Wednesday, and I guess it got erased, but uh, every week I want you guys to come in as a reminder from last week's lesson, are you prepared to change based upon what you hear? Are you prepared to change what you believe, what you feel, what you think about what the Word of God says when you come face to face with the Word of God? Especially with today, as we begin chapter two, parental guidance strongly commanded. I thought about naming this title uh, PG-13, but then I was like, wait, that means parental guidance for anyone under 13, and that wouldn't really fit with what we're talking about today. Uh, so instead, I decided to call it parental guidance strongly commanded. You guys are in Ephesians 6, right? Yeah. All right, follow along with me in the intro, and then we'll pray. Today, we look at the second most important relationship outside of a relationship with Christ, you and your parents. And I think I'd mentioned this last week, but when it comes to... Biblical relationships, the one that we teach for the adults and what we have traditionally taught here in the senior high, this is a topic that we've never discussed. And for the life of me, I have no clue why, because, I mean, this hits, no pun intended, home for all of you guys. And in some way, shape, or form, it doesn't matter whether you grew up in a Christian home uh, or you have lost parents or you have a mixed home or blended, whatever the case is, this applies to you today. And like all of these relationships, and really for the entirety of this class, keep this sentence in the forefront of your mind. Much more can be said about this topic than what we're actually going to see today. I mean, this is just a scratching the surface. It's just a shotgun blast. It really is just everything I think that you guys need to hear with where you're at right now. And that's why, we, you know, again, we could probably spend five weeks talking about relationships between you and your parents. But I have a feeling that our numbers would dwindle even more so. Understandably so. So this lesson is going to focus and highlight aspects of this relationship from perspective of things to know as a senior high student. And hopefully by the end, it'll make more sense to you. These are values you'll be thankful for if you implement now so that you're not sorry later. Let me reread that sentence. These are values you'll be thankful for if you implement them now so that you're not sorry later. These are biblical principles that will change you to be more like his dear son once added to your faith. I had mentioned last week, last week's message. Hopefully this week will make a lot more sense of last week's message if you were somewhat confused. You know, I was just talking with some of you. Yeah, it was a very unconventional message to start out biblical relationships. I mean, we can't talk about biblical relationships without talking about the most important relationship you will ever have, that with being your relationship with Christ. And I wanted to take a look at a different approach of things last week, and I hope that this question on the board, are you prepared to change, really helps solidify that, especially in light of what we're going to talk about today with probably the next closest relationship, you and your parents. And so please be willing and have an open heart to hear from God's Word, and that's why when we pray here in a second, just talk with God. Say, Lord... Is there something I need to change my attitude on? Is there something I need to change what I previously view or the way that I'm even acting towards my parents with regard to what we're going to see in your word today? So can I get a volunteer? Specifically a dude. Literally every single one of them are looking at the ground right now. Caleb, thank you. All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, just thank you for this day and thank you that we get to meet here today and just please speak through Corey and let us all learn something. Dearly Father, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, I should probably turn there myself. But the first point on your outline, we're going to look at our fundamental responsibility to our parents. Actually, eyes up here. Anybody, anybody want to quote it? Who remembers it from your VBS days? <laughs> yeah, you know what? 
in the, no, hold on, hold on, stop, stop, stop. In the Bible Institute, when we got quizzed on the books of the Bible, Pastor Tom yelled at Pastor Aaron because he tried to sing the song. And he's like, no, stop singing it. Say it without singing. All right, so try it. Wow, all right. I didn't think uh, the verse 3 was uh, a part of that, so I'm glad that you threw that in there. Good, awesome. All right, so very, very simply put, point number one, children are to obey their parents in the Lord in all things. I put in all things there because as you'll see here in a moment, Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 says, children obey your parents in all things. You know what's kind of neat? I don't know if you ever noticed this before, if you've ever, you know, when you're reading these two books, but if anybody wants to, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians are very similar. They touch on very, very similar issues, very, very similar things. And a lot of them cross over as you read both books. Paul has a lot to say that's very, very likened in both books. And so he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord here in Ephesians 6, 1. And he says, in all things in Colossians 3.20. Now, I'm going somewhere with this and it might not you guys might not know where I'm going at first, but hang with me. Keep coming with me on this journey, and by the time we get to point three on this section, it'll make sense. But I put the phrase in there, in the Lord, because I don't know about you guys, but I, as much as I've read, memorized this verse, I never realized that phrase was in there. We just came off of how to study the Bible in this class, and one of the rules of Bible study is you want to pay attention to every single word that shows up in the Bible. And here it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. So, um, you know, without going into to detail, and I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but, uh, you know, something had come up this past week uh, with um, one of you guys or a couple of you guys pertaining to this issue. And, uh, I am very, very passionate about this subject because of my background and what I went through. And you'll hear more about uh, my story today. Um, and it aggravated me because uh, it just brought up some things that I went through as being a, a senior hire who, when I started walking with God, I was living with my mom at the time because my parents had just gotten divorced a couple years prior. And uh, when my mom saw that I was going to a church that my best friends who invited me to church had left the church right as soon as I started walking with Christ, they left. And when my mom noticed that and the people that she trusted and entrusted me to go to their church with, and she also noticed that very same summer that her 16 year old son started tithing at this church that was meeting in a high school, my mom became very convinced that I was in a cult. To this day, she believes Pastor Tom is a cult leader. That's how I started my sophomore year, and that was my high school experience in the senior high. Going to Perry High School with nobody else in my senior high, also going to that school, feeling like I was the only person who carried his Bible, the only person who felt like he was passionate enough to, to want to lead his school to Christ. So I have, I'm by myself all day long at this school while all of my other brothers and sisters at Solid are going elsewhere, and then I come home to that. That was my high school experience. So when it comes to this whole idea of what I'm going to talk about here in a bit, um, I get very passionate about these things. And just as a side note, and, and 
There are things that go on in your guys' life that doesn't show up in the group me. And that's always a... Um, let me just use this time to say, you don't know what anybody else is going through in here. And because you don't know that, you know what you just need to do? Constantly pray for each other. Always. Because we all need it. So with what happened, it just drove me to kind of study this out because I, I, I know what my personal experience is and I, and I get very passionate about this sort of thing and because you, know, you kind of get presented with a, a challenge. Am I going to obey my lost mom and not go to this church anymore because she thinks it's a cult? Or am I going to disobey her because I know that this is not a cult. This is where God has me. This is where the Word of God is. I know that he's just a man. He even claims that he's just a man and that... The day that he starts going away from this book, we need to kick him out of here. And the same goes for all of your pastors and all your teachers and leaders. And so I made a choice. I'm not leaving. This is where God has me. I'm staying here. So did I violate this passage? And that's where I started studying this out this week, and it changed the course of this message. And I came across that phrase, in the Lord. So these cross-references that you have here for point number one might seem really weird, but just follow along with me. I traced that phrase in the Lord throughout the Bible, and in 114 places it shows up. And yes, I looked up all 114 of those places Friday night. I came across a verse like this, and really all of the verses kind of say the same thing. Paul's saying, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Question, what was Paul's occupation? He just mentions part of it here. He's an apostle. But did you guys know he had another job? He had another means to support himself, to support his ministry. You guys know what it was? I hear it whispers. <laughs> Do you guys know that Paul was a tent maker? He actually made tents. You can see about it in the book of Acts. He made tents to support himself and to support his ministry. But here he's saying, are not ye my work in the Lord? He differentiates. I have work. I have a job. But ye, Corinthians, you're my work in the Lord. You're my spiritual work. You are the work that is, has eternal value and eternal merit to it. You're in the Lord. And then I had mentioned Colossians 3.20. But did you guys know that just two verses before that, when talking about the wives, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And then again, two verses later, it talks about children obey your parents and all things. The reason why I brought verse 18 up, because this happened, I mean, goodness, I remember when Heather and I were in premarital counseling, uh, getting ready for our wedding. I remember Pastor Tom shared some stories when it, we were going through the responsibilities and the roles of a husband and wife, and we'll cover these in detail at a later date. But I remember he shared things where, uh, I won't go into detail on it, but let's just say that there are a couple of uh, husbands that would come into counseling for our pastors, and uh, they would want their wives to submit to things that are not biblical whatsoever. And these people, these guys, I, there were like a list of names. were like, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. Can't say that. That's too mean. Eh, no, it's not too mean, but I can't say that. I had a whole bunch of words I wanted to say there. These guys would try to use the Bible and tell their wives, no, 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 you have to do this because you're called to submit to me. 
Ladies, that verse right there, you are to submit as it is fit in the Lord. If a guy ever wants you to do something that is not biblical, you don't submit to him, even if he is your husband, because it's not fit in the Lord. And then you come across to Philemon. You guys remember the story of Philemon? We did a little brief synopsis on him this past summer. Remember Philemon? He was a runaway slave. Or no, that was Onesimus. Right? Am I getting that backwards? Philemon was the, the, the wealthy or the, the owner. Onesimus was his servant. Onesimus runs away, runs in the Apostle Paul. Paul leads him to saving faith in Christ and then tells Onesimus, hey, you got to go back to your man Philemon. But hey, it's going to be different now because now you're a spiritual servant. You're going to serve him spiritually. But look how he even delineates here. He goes, hey, Onesimus is coming back not now as a servant, but above a servant. He's a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee? And look what he says, both in the flesh, meaning his physical job as a servant, and in the Lord, meaning he's going to be a spiritual servant to you. Not just physically with his job, with his indentured servitude, but no, also spiritually in the Lord. Those are the ones I highlighted, but I'm telling you, I looked up all 114 verses this past week on it, and each and every single time, with the exception of the Old Testament, where it talks about, hey, trust in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. When this phrase is mentioned in the Lord, it's talking about within the parameters of what the Bible says, biblically. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord in all things. Again, more on that in a second. Do not get ideas of thinking, oh man, I'm going to go ahead and tell my parents. If parents, if you're listening, don't freak out. Don't worry. I'm going somewhere with this. It's in the Lord in all things. Look at point number two, as we already kind of are seen in Ephesians 6 too. Children are to honor their father and mother. Now, that might seem like they're both one and the same things. Why would he repeat himself? And this even goes back to the, the Ten Commandments, you know, we're to honor our father and mother. That's what Exodus 20, verse 12 says. But on your study sheet, you know the definition of honor, it means to view or think with reverence. To esteem something with value. Yes, it does go hand in hand with obedience, but God differentiates it. You're viewing or thinking with reference. You're esteeming something with value. You're valuing the opinion of your parents. You're, you're, you're revering it. You are, and yes, in some cases that means you are submitting to it. You are obeying, to, you are obeying it. And as we saw in verse 3, with this comes a blessing of long life if you do that. If you do not honor your parents, you might not have a long life. Does that mean physically? Does that mean spiritually? Yes. Both. Maybe one or the other. Because in Deuteronomy 21, if you did not honor your parents in the Old Testament, mom and dad would take you down to the local courthouse to the magistrate and they would kill you. Stone you with stones in Deuteronomy 21. Boy, aren't you glad we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. Check that passage out later. That'll keep you up nights. If you did not honor your mom and dad... Stoned. That's why honoring your parents gives you long life, long life upon this earth, that it may be well with thee that you live long and that you would be fruitful in the land. More on that in a little bit. 
But that brings me to this whole issue of point number three. So you mean to tell me that it's not just a carte blanche, blank slate, I obey no matter what? Here's the thing, with what I'm about to talk about in point number three, by and large, most of you in this room, this scenario will not apply, by and large. Because I know 90% of you have godly parents. And you have godly parents who are in the Lord. So you know what you do? You obey them in all things in the Lord. You obey them in all things in the Lord, and you honor their decisions. You honor what they want. Now, that might not always be the case for some of you. Like I, I had mentioned just a little bit ago with my story, uh, you might find yourself in a scenario where your parents want to leave the church. Maybe it is because of a doctrinal issue. Maybe somehow, some way, we lose our minds and we start teaching things that aren't biblical, and your parents decide to leave. But my experience from what I've seen, whenever whole families leave the church, it's usually, typically, not always, but typically because they got upset and ticked off about something and they're wanting to go. And that's not biblical. But what if God's got a hold of your heart? What if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt because you've heard the scenario, you've honored your parents, you've viewed their decisions with reverence and high esteem, which means that you've had conversations, not backtalk, not questioning their decisions, but you've had conversations, you've sat down with them and you heard their side of things. And maybe you come to the point where you're thinking, I respect you guys want to leave, but um, in the bullet points we're going to look at here, uh, I don't think I'm supposed to leave. I think I'm supposed to stay here. Some of you might find yourself in a scenario like that. Maybe not, but you might. I never thought my friends who were charter members who started this church would ever do that. But they did. Want to take a guess where they're at right now? Not in church. In one case, I'm convinced one of the members, family members, lost their mind. I'm convinced of it. You walk away from this book, you stop following this book. I didn't say the church. When you walk away from this book, you start losing your spiritual mind. It happens when you leave the book. When you know the truth and you choose to walk away from the truth and you don't go somewhere else to where truth is because you wanted to just live your sinful lifestyle, it happens. So I want to be careful on this one and issue a warning. And what I'm going to talk about, it's not giving you a license to disobey at all. Because again, most of you in here, you'll never come across these scenarios. But what if I'm in a home with lost parents, like I found myself in? What if I'm in a home with a blended family, with step-parents, maybe one has a different view than the other, etc. and so forth? What if I'm in a home and I'm not with my biological parents? This is totally to help you. So the first question you have to ask yourself, is this act that they're asking you to submit to, that you're asking you to obey, is this act clearly and blatantly sinful and therefore not in the Lord? If that's the case, Acts 5.29 gives you your answer. Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, what happened there? Anybody remember? There was a decree that was issued that would have caused Daniel to violate the word of God and to bow down to an idol. Did Daniel do it? Mm -mm. 
opened up his windows, bowed down, and prayed to the one true God of Israel three times a day before everyone. Other question you have to consider. Maybe this isn't blatantly sinful. Maybe it's not all downright against the Bible. Will it violate my conscience, though? You know, in Exodus chapter 1, I mentioned this during the How to Study the Bible class, when Pharaoh gave the, the command to kill all the firstborn males, you know what the midwives said? The midwives were like, uh-uh, we're not going to follow what Pharaoh said. He was the king. He was in charge. But they would have violated their conscience if they would have drowned all those males, all those babies. In Daniel 1.8, again, going back to our man, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat or with the wine wherewith he drank. He purposed in his heart he was going to remain pure. He wasn't going to violate his conscience. Point three, and this goes back to the honoring aspect. Did you seek to honor your parents by respectfully discussing the matter and calmly presenting your case as to why you feel either of the above two points would be violated? Acts 4.19, this is what Peter and John did. They were before a council, and Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In other words, they had a discussion. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't an argument. It wasn't a challenging of their authority. No, they did it respectfully. Keep in mind, if your parents tell you something that is not going to cause you to obey in the Lord, you still have a command to honor your parents. That one there is no getting around. Honoring. To view and think with reverence. To esteem something with value. They have a reason for why they want to do something that maybe not be blatantly sinful. Talk about it. But they made up their mind. For we cannot, verse 20, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Got to have a discussion on it. Romans 14, 20 says, uh, you know, whatsoever is done without faith is sin. Do you have scripture behind your decision as to why you feel that way? James 4, 17, him, to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I remember in high school talking with my buddies who left the church. This was months after they left. And I remember talking with the one where he's like, man, I miss it there. I said, dude, come back. You have your license. If you're not growing where you're at, come back. If you know it's good for you to be where the Bible is being preached and taught, come back. And he never did. Again, that was his case. That was his scenario. And I know the full story as to why they left. Yours might be different. This is why I said careful deliberation and counsel is needed before you make a decision. Have you considered the blessing, fourth bullet point, have you considered the blessing that would come from your submission, even if you still believe it to be, or if it genuinely is wrong? I wish we had the time to go to Psalm 37, but read Psalm 37 later. Over and over again, David is talking about, man, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm not going to fret over this issue. I'm going to rest in the Lord, in the Lord. <laughs> That phrase in the Lord shows up several times in Psalm 37. David's like, I'm not going to fret over this issue, even though it, it's not right. And there are people that are getting their way that they shouldn't, but I'm going to rest in it and I'm going to submit to you, Lord. And you know what he says comes? Peace. And he says that even in the time of famine, when he wasn't being fed, he was going to be taken care of by the Lord. 
Not saying that's the answer, but it's things to consider. Last thing, have you considered the possible effects that could come out of your decision for good and bad? Will your decision cause further turmoil and lack of peace in the home? Romans 12, 18, as much as lieth in you, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it gets to a point where it's not peaceable anymore in you, as much as it lieth in you, then maybe you do need to change. Maybe you do need to, to, to do whatever that decision is that's going to cause less peace. But what about others in the home with you? Got to consider this. And you know what's interesting about both Acts 4.19, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, or Acts chapter 5. But as, you know, uh, what did Peter say again? Uh, drawing a blank between these two. Um, oh, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know what happened in both of these cases and scenarios when they made their choice and decision to disobey because it was better for them to obey God? They got beat. They got imprisoned. As a reminder, whatever decision you make, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When you cross that line, be prepared for whatever the repercussions are as a result of it. Not saying God's not going to take care of you. He did for me when I crossed that line. When I made the decision, no, I'm going to keep tithing. No, I'm going to keep going to this church. You cross a certain line, and you might just have to deal with it was a rough three years of high school. Not really an easy issue. And I hope that none of you in here have to come across that scenario. But it might happen. I'm hoping that for all of you in here, it's that, you know what? In the Lord. What if my parents, parents are lost? Well, is what they're asking you to still within the confines of in the Lord? Like clean your room. The Bible does talk about cleanliness. If they're asking you to clean your room, that's not outside of the bounds of in the Lord. So you know what? You obey them in all things. But there's some tricky areas. Does that make sense? So next point. Our relationship with our parents. And this is where, I, this is where the message was originally going to go. And what's funny is even with God changing the course of the message, this still kind of fits. It still goes into what our fundamental responsibility is of obeying and honoring our parents. But our relationship with our parents mirrors a discipleship relationship. I don't know if you ever thought about that or if you ever heard that before. But go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to camp out here. If the message goes beyond uh, 10 o'clock, which it more than likely will, um, just make sure you guys check out the podcast for the rest of it because this, this is a big one. This is important. There's a reason why I think that for some reason God was laying it on my heart for us to discuss this when it's never been done in any of our other curriculum. But parenting mirrors, or I should say discipleship mirrors a parenting relationship. It mirrors having uh, uh, leading children. Look with me in verses 1 to 3. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them. 
in the land whither ye go to possess it. We talk all the time in this, in this class. You all have land. You all have a territory that God has placed you in. It's your schools right now. In some cases, it is your homes for you to be a light to. You all have land that you're supposed to go and to possess for the Lord, to occupy that land, to make sure that you are the, the one that is going forth with the word of God to repopulate and replenish that land. Verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee. And look what he says next. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be what? Ah, that goes back to Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. That it may be well with thee. It's the first commandment with promise that thou mightest live long upon the earth. You want to be fruitful? You want to bear much fruit, which John 15, 8 says that's the only way for, well, that's not the only way, but it's the main way that we bring glory to the Father by being fruitful, by having fruit that remains, by making disciples. That's how we do it. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. He sets this precedent by saying, hey, look, I don't want you just to know the Bible. I don't want you just to obey the Bible. I want you to teach it to somebody after you. But I don't even want it to stop there. He goes, I want you to teach it to somebody after you. And, and when you teach my word to somebody after you, you also need to train them to be able to teach who comes after them also. That's discipleship. It's parenting. It's a beautiful picture. So in point one, you know what a discipler, a good discipler does? You know what a good parent does and what your parents do for you? Or should? Point one, they teach us the Word of God to obey our Heavenly Father so that we do the same and those who come after us. Children, or in your case, disciples. And maybe children in the future. And this is going to kind of go, I, I didn't intend for this, but I kind of thought about this earlier today. Like When I was looking this over, I'm like, well, as I picture it, because I wasn't a teenager once too, and I remember whenever my parents would tell me to do something, you know, the, they would always kind of give, well, here's the reason why. Here's the so. Here's why you need to do it. So, and then me as a teenager, I would also respond, often respond with why. And then they would usually follow up with because. So for the two bullet points under each of these main points, you have a so and you have a because. So, observe to do what they instruct you with all of your being so that it may be well with you and that you grow to be fruitful. That's why verses 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Christ said that over and over again in the Gospels. That's what we're to do. But I had that word observe there as your blank. Anybody know why? I mean, right, it's right there in verse 3. Observe to do it. But when we think about discipleship, what are the key verses, key passages that we talk about when it comes to discipleship? The Great Commission is one of them. Anybody know that? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's verse 19. 
And that verse is all about evangelism. You teach the gospel because you're going to be baptizing people. You don't baptize people unless they first make a commitment and a salvation uh, proclamation by calling upon the name of the Lord. But we need to teach all nations. We need to preach the Bible to all nations so that they can do that. And then verse 20. Anybody know what verse 20 says of the Great Commission? Headline verse of discipleship? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Verse 19 is the evangelism part. Verse 20 is the discipleship part. That's what we are to do in discipleship. That's what those of you who are involved in discipleship should be doing. You're not just learning the Bible. You're observing it. You're seeing how it works out and it applies in your daily life. You're seeing how it works out in, in, in what you're supposed to be doing, where you're called to go, how you're supposed to take this book to your schools, to your homes. That's what observing it means. That's what he says here all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. Wait, for discipleship or for parenting? Yes. So observe to do what they instruct you because one day you'll be responsible for teaching others. Joel 1.3. That's an odd verse. He goes, tell ye your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That's the only way we reach this entire planet for Christ is by preaching the gospel, training up others to preach the gospel, to go and then do the exact same thing. Because point two, look at verse six. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And he says it again, verse 7. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them. So you mean discipleship goes just beyond a one-hour, two-hour meeting? Sometimes three-hour meeting? Yeah. You teach them diligently. You talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It encompasses your entire life. It encompasses your entire being. It is who you are. It infiltrates every aspect of your life. It shouldn't just be on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's all over, all the time, as you're practicing being in the presence of the Lord. Being in His presence, having Him change you into the image of His dear Son every single day. When you sit up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up again. Number two, they invest their life into yours. That's what a discipler does. That's what a parent does. So that no matter where you go, you'll be able to identify your own strengths and weaknesses. So, glean as much as you can about who they are. You know, in a discipleship relationship, it should be two ways. There should be two learners and two teachers. Because there are times, and I'm sure you guys have encountered this, where you as a disciple are meeting with your discipler, and you're teaching them something, or they should tell you that, man, you know what? I never saw that before. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that with me. You teach them something that they didn't know. There's two teachers there. There's two learners there. And you should be knowing more about who your discipler is, and what their strengths are, and what their weaknesses are. But you know what's different with parents and kids, and especially with teenagers? I know, because I was there. 
We don't often have conversations like this, do we, with our parents? We don't often try to get to know everything about them and who they are so that we know their strengths and weaknesses. And why is that? More on that in a second. So glean as much as you can about who they are. Take an interest in the things they do. I'm back on your study sheet here. Their jobs, their hobbies, areas of service at the church, why they're reading, where they're reading in their Bible. Do you know your parents' testimony? Do you know the story of how your parents met? Exodus 12, 26 and 27. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? Hey, uh, what, what's the meaning behind why you guys do what you do? Why do you guys choose to serve in here? Why are you guys reading there? Why are we going to this church? Why is it that you guys are, why haven't you signed up for a missions trip in a while? Why are you going on this mission trip? But the point I'm trying to get is, how often are you guys asking questions like that to your parents? To glean from them. Especially those of you in a godly home with Christian parents. As teenagers, we don't often have conversations like this. The time shall come, what mean ye by the service, that ye, parent, discipler, shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. You want to know what God did in our life, son? You want to know what God did in our life, daughter? Because it affects you, whether you teenagers realize it or not. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. You guys ought to seek your parents out and have conversations like this. You ought to ask some of these questions as just as an example. The very next chapter, chapter 13. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, Hey, what's this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. But what if your parents are lost? What if your parents aren't around? What if you're not particularly close with your parents? Well, let me ask you this. What do you know about them that you can glean? What is it you do know about them? Maybe you're not particularly close where you can just go up and ask them that, whether it be emotionally, physically, whatever the case is. But what is it you do know about them that you can glean? Both strengths and weaknesses. Going somewhere with this. Going somewhere with this. Because, regardless of whether they're lost or saved, regardless of whether or not they are active parents in your life or absent parents in your life, their DNA is in you. Whether you like it or not. Whether you realize it or not. Their DNA is in you. Like it or not, you have traits that you inherited from them in you. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, 
unto the third and fourth generation. You know what this says? The things that you struggle with right now, you probably inherited from your parents. The things you struggle with now, you probably didn't get from your parents, but maybe your grandfather or his father before him. We don't often think about that. We don't often ask, hey, mom, dad, what was grandpa like? What was grandma like? For those of you who still have grandparents, hey, what was your dad like? What was your mom like? We need to identify what it is so that we can identify our strengths and weaknesses. I had mentioned before my parents divorced at the age of 13, and uh, I didn't think this had an effect on me. I, um, I'm just thinking, do I want to stretch this to week two or not? We'll get done. I didn't think this had an effect on me. I was uh, right when we were going into middle school. And man, I'll tell you what, uh, if there's a worse time for a kid to be going through a divorce, it's uh, a kid living in Perry going to Pfeiffer because there's no windows in that stinking school and it's just depressing as all get out. But uh, it honestly didn't affect me when that happened. Because in middle school, you're going from your elementary school to now the school where there's every elementary school in the township there. So you get to meet a whole bunch of people that you didn't even know existed. And so when this happened, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall uh, happening um, years prior to that, I just went ahead and got to know people, made new friends, and I was still close with my parents, but you know, I was like, hey, look, you know what? I'm just gonna hang out and do as much hangouts as I can with friends. I wasn't saved at this time. And so um, I really didn't grieve it. It really didn't affect me. It wasn't like I, I went to, to counseling or anything like that. Um, and then eventually when I, I got saved, you know, that those sorts of independence that kind of came from dealing with my parents' divorce, that kind of sense of independence stuck with me. To the point where, okay, instead of these lost friends at school that I'm hanging out with every single weekend, now it's my church friends. It's godly people. But I'm still kind of just keeping my parents at, at, a, at a distance. And I already told you the reason why with my mom. But even my dad, my dad eventually started, uh, he saw the change in my life. He rededicated his life to the Lord, met my stepmom, and, and they're still walking with God to this day. Um, but I didn't realize until I got married, that my parents' divorce did actually have an effect on me. Um, when the relationship with my mom kind of became strained, it uh, caused me just to not be close with her, not you know tell her what was going on in my life, not to get to know her, spend time with her. And to this day, it's still affected. We don't speak that often to each other, even though she lives a minute away from my house. And... Um, she is uh, very introverted. And as outgoing of a personality as I have, I can be very introverted. I very much like my me time. I didn't realize that until I got married. Years later, 10, 12 years after the divorce, whereas it put a strain on our marriage. Because to this day, there are still things that when I'm struggling with 
an issue mentally, or if I'm struggling with knowing where do I go here, or man, I, I just, I'm, I'm, like I said last week, I sometimes I lack confidence in knowing what I'm supposed to teach on, or is this the direction God you want me to go, or is this me trying to put my way on it? I will internalize a lot of those struggles and not share them with my wife to the point where she doesn't know what I might be battling on any given day because I want to figure it out myself before I dump it on her, before I even ask her to pray for me. That's not a partnership. That's something I still struggle with to this day. And I got that from my mom. I don't open up. And as I already kind of alluded to, I am my own worst critic. I will beat myself up into an oblivion. Even if something went really, really well, I will still hyper-criticize and hyper-analyze everything. And I get that from my dad. Point I'm trying to make is I didn't realize any of this when I was your age. I wish I would have asked these questions. I wish I would have gleaned these things from them because it probably would have helped me when I got ready for the relationship factor you guys are all wanting us to cover in this class when it's time to date and eventually look for a spouse. It comes to that point where you realize, I need to change. Told you everything from last week is going to flow out of last week's message. We need to be gleaning these things from our parents so we see and identify what you're saying is weakness and strength in you. I see it in me. I need to look up scripture passages and I need to let the word of God and spending time in his presence change me in that because I don't want to carry what my parents had into my marriage. And I'm telling each and every single one of you, you will. The worst things that you can't stand about some of your parents, maybe. Because you guys see the worst in your parents more than anybody else that goes here. You do. It, it's reality in every home. But I'm telling you, those things, they're in you. You're not immune to it. Their DNA is in you. So glean. Ask as many questions as you can. Have a close relationship with your parents and talk with them and get to know them and then start having some time to meditate on hmm, anything that I gleaned today or anything that I see now even just from observing them I'm like man I have tendencies like that that could be me start taking note of those things now start finding scripture passages to memorize now and mortify those things the Bible says we need to put off the old man in Ephesians 4 Colossians because in point three, look at verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware. When things are going good for you, when, man, there's just no opposition, there's no struggles, there's no, there's no persecution, that's the time to beware, lest thou forget the Lord. 
which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Man, will that sneak up on you out of nowhere. Point three. This is true in a discipleship relationship, and it's true with a relationship with your parents. They, the discipler, the parents, become open and vulnerable about their past so that you don't forget what the Lord has done in your life. So learn what they've been taught by God. Learn their past victories over sin, their past victories over trials that they've been through. Do you even know what sin struggles they had that they defeated? Do you even know what trials they put through where they thought, man, there was no way I was going to see through it. There was no way I thought that God was going to bring us through it, and He did. Do you know what those stories are? And also, yes, learn their past failures. Ask them to be vulnerable. Ask them to open up. And please understand when I tell you this, your parents want you to have these conversations with them. They want you to. It's awkward, and it deals with emotions, and we don't like that. Makes us feel weird. Telling you, they want to have these conversations with you. Take advantage of it now. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9 says, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. What things did God do in your life at last summer camp? What changes and impacts did He make at your life last summer camp? Did you forget already? I think it's about time I send out last year's camp commitments. Unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth. <gasps> Ephesians 6, 3, 2 and 3. And that they may teach their children discipleship, parenting, you know, Heather, just this past week, and, and it's been a while, but whenever Wyatt plays baseball, which was my sport when I was a kid, you know, when he swings and he misses, he gets real upset real fast, and he gets real frustrated, and he wants to quit. And I remember when I was like that as a kid, and I remember, and not to, I mean, I'm not beating my dad up at all. He still beats himself up to this day. Like I said, I get it from him. But he even says, like, yeah, you know what? I never worked with you. I was like, when I saw you doing that, I'm like, okay, I'm done. And he would just go elsewhere. And I realized when I saw my son exuding the same traits that I do, or that I did, there are times where I go up to him like, hey, buddy, you're like this because of me. Because daddy was like this when I was your age, and I'm sorry. But that's not how we act. You're not going to give up. You're not going to quit. Because I want him to know there's a reason why he's like that, and I want to give him the ways of escape. I want to teach these things to him. You're not too late for your parents to teach these things to you. Just have conversations with them. Glean as much as you can from them. Because otherwise, you'll be doomed to repeat their mistakes in the future. Very quickly turn over to Psalm 78. And I have repeated the mistakes of my family, and I don't want you guys to. 
Psalm 78 is a great psalm. Written by a man named Asaph. You know who Asaph is? He is a descendant of a man named Korah. You know who Korah is? He was a father of many children, and he tried to lead a rebellion against God and God's people, and the earth literally opened up and swallowed him whole. Numbers 26, 11, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. Nevertheless, the sons of Korah died not that day. Your parent might be an absolute heathen. That doesn't have to be you. Psalm written by one of his descendants, talking about the history of Israel and how they constantly were delivered by God and then constantly fell again. Look at verse 56. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not His testimonies. They didn't change. They didn't go into His presence to be changed. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. Don't repeat the mistakes of your family. History repeats itself. So again, whether your parents are absent or active in your life, there's something you can glean. Whether they're lost or saved, there's something you can glean from them. Just observe. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.